News Weekly is an ad-free listener-supported podcast made possible by subscribers like you. Just go to patreon.com slash samisha, that's S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H, to support the podcast. Top stories of the week. You can't spell coos without U and S. Also, damn it feels good to be a banker. All that and more on News Weekly. Hello, I'm Sammy Shah and thank you for joining me as we punch the news in the headlines weekly. No Khan do news now. It's been a bad week in Pakistan. I mean, technically, it's been a bad 76 years in Pakistan, but this week has also really been bad. It started with a train derailment which killed dozens of people. At least 30 people have been killed after an express train partly derailed in southern Pakistan. More than 100 passengers were injured near the city of Nawab Shah. The trains fell off the track so violently that some carriages flipped over completely. The military has ruled out terrorism as a cause. Based on initial investigation, it doesn't seem like the incident was caused by sabotage or terrorism. It's more likely that it was due to a technical problem. That technical problem was quickly blamed on floodwaters by the Pakistani news media, despite the fact that there's no flood water in the area where the train derailed, and the more likely cause is lack of repairs and maintenance in a rail system that hasn't been updated since Queen Victoria died. Most Pakistanis barely even notice the train disaster, however, as the country has been drawing closer to a general election in November, which everyone knows deposed Prime Minister Imran Khan is guaranteed to win something the current government and its military backers aren't in favour of. So what do you do when the guy you just kicked out of office is probably going to end up back in office? Today, Imran Khan, Pakistan's former prime minister, has been arrested after being sentenced to three years in prison. That should solve that then. Imran Khan, the former cricketer turned philanthropist turned serial marriager turned brief prime minister, was arrested after a court found him guilty of making money by selling state gifts. It's a verdict made all the more complicated by the fact that Imran Khan is actually guilty of what he's being accused of. Former Pakistan Prime Minister and PTI Chairman Imran Khan on Wednesday admitted to having sold at least four presents he received during his tenure as Premier. In his reply to the Election Commission of Pakistan in the Tosha Khanna case against him, Khan maintained that the sale of the gifts he procured from the state treasury after paying $96,000 fetched about $260,000. One of the gifts included a graph wristwatch, a pair of cufflinks, an expensive pen and a ring, while the other three gifts included four Rolex watches. So while he did do what they said he did, and therefore is guilty under the law and should be disqualified from running in the election under that same law, the issue here is why the laws are only applied when politically convenient to do so. Since being deposed in April 2022, Imran Khan has alleged his ouster is the result of military conspiracies against him, and even fanciful paranoid ramblings about the US demanding regime change in Pakistan. Here's a report from March of 2022. Pakistan's beleaguered Prime Minister Imran Khan has been defiantly rejecting the opposition calls for him to resign. He is fighting to hold on to power after a no-trust motion against him was rejected. In fact, he accused a Western country of backing moves to oust him. In his allegations, he blamed a US official for his involvement in the alleged conspiracy to topple his government. That official is Donald Liu. 
While making these claims, Imran Khan had flashed a letter. And in that letter, according to Imran Khan, Donald Liu was the official who made threatening remarks about the Premier's regime. Critics of Imran Khan dismissed his claims at the time and often labelled him as delusional and paranoid. After all, the US does not do regime change in foreign countries. Sure, there's that time in 1893 when a small group of white business and plantation owners with the support of a US envoy to Hawaii led a coup d'etat that ousted the Hawaiian queen from power and annexed 1.8 million acres of land, but that was in 1893. So long ago. Oh, and yeah, there was that time in 1933 when the US backed military leader Fulgencio Batista's coup to overthrow the Cuban government. But again, so long ago. Oh, oh yeah, and 1953 when the CIA overthrew the democratically elected Prime Minister of Iran and installed a king. And 1954 when democratically elected Guatemalan President Arbenz was replaced with, by a military dictator. Oh, and, and 1960 when it helped capture and kill Congo's first democratically elected Prime Minister Patrice Lumumba and replaced him with a dictator. 1963 when it led a coup and assassination of South Vietnamese President Diem. 1973 when it orchestrated a coup in Chile against elected President Salvador Allende. 1990 in Nicaragua and 2003 in Iraq. And now, a report by a US-based news publication, The Intercept, is substantiating some of Imran Khan's claims. The report says that the US was secretly pressuring the Pakistan government to remove Khan from his position over his neutrality on the Russia-Ukraine war. This is according to a classified Pakistani government document. The document further reveals that the carrots and the sticks deployed by the State Department in its push against Imran Khan and it promised warmer relations if Khan was removed and warned of isolating Pakistan if he was not. As the old saying goes, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean the US won't orchestrate a coup to overthrow your democratically elected government. And further confirmation of the U.S. involvement in the overthrow of Imran Khan comes from U.S. State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller, who made this damning statement when asked about the leaked diplomatic cable. Uh, I will just say that we continue to believe that uh, these are matters for the Pakistani people to decide. Uh, our bottom line principle is that we continue to call for the respect of democratic principles, human rights, and the rule of law in Pakistan, as we do around the world. Whenever America says that, it means your country just had a CIA-backed regime change. In fact, I'm pretty sure an American government official saying we continue to call for the respect of democratic principles, human rights, and the rule of law is basically a coded signal to go into full regime change mode. And if you're skeptical and are thinking, well, the diplomatic cable was leaked by a Pakistani source to the intercept, so it might be fake, hear the same State Department press briefing a few minutes later. You, you, you can go, I, I think what I'm hearing is that essentially the, the substance of this report and the purported Pakistani cable back to Islamabad is accurate, but you're saying that it, it, it but it is not the U.S. It's, saying that so, Prime Minister Khan, then Prime Minister Khan, has to, should leave office. Is that, I, is that correct? It, it, Close-ish. I cannot speak to the veracity. Close-ish. And I'll explain what I mean. I'll explain what I mean by close-ish. That's a diplomatic term. Exactly. I'll explain what I mean by that, which is I cannot speak to the veracity of this document. Okay. What I can't say. Let me just finish. What I can say. Let's even just even if those comments were all. 100% accurate as reported, mm -hmm. which I do not know them to be. Yeah. They do not in any way show um, uh, a representative of the State Department 
taking a position on who okay. the leadership. They're commenting but you on. You can on, understand, on, though, perhaps, perhaps you can understand why other countries might think when the U.S. weighs in, even in a way like this, uh, that it is taking a position on it. I mean, I can think uh, a name like five or ten leaders who the United States has sought to oust including some that it has, it has been successful in Aston, although not only after a military invasions. Um, so, you know, it's not an unprecedented thing or, for a country to think that the U.S. is trying to pressure it into, or trying to uh, make, it, make its views known about who it thinks should be the leader of a country, right? I will say that I can understand how those comments, number one, could be taken out of context, and number two, how people might have the, might desire for them to be taken out of context and might try to use them to advance an agenda that is not represented okay. by the comments think, of themselves. And do you think that's what's happening here? Uh, I think uh, a number of people have taken them out of context and used them for in, political intentionally purposes. For, to... um, I won't speak to intentions, but I think that's what's okay. happened. Pakistan's current government has yet to respond to the claims it was placed there by the US, instead preparing to announce the interim government, who will take over the country in the lead up to the next election, where 240 million Pakistanis will get the chance to decide their next American-approved, democratically elected by the military leader. This time there definitely won't be a financial collapse like every other time this has happened. News now. As interest rates continue to rise in Australia, the cost of living increase has made daily life harder for many Australians, with most industries failing to offer salary raises in keeping with rate hikes. That is, unless you listen to what my parents had been begging me to study instead of the useless fucking English degree I did and gone into banking instead. Our biggest bank has just posted its biggest annual profit, a record $10.16 billion. CBA's financial position surging as Australians struggle. And today the bank forecast more challenges ahead for customers. That's right. It turns out a business model based around passing on the rate hikes to borrowers but not to savers has been really, 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 really great for shareholders. Fortunately, the bank can now use the massive amounts of money it got from us to help beleaguered bankers buy another BMW or snort more cocaine off the surface of their third Rolex watch. Here's Matt Komen, CEO of Commonwealth Bank, on how this will help the bank better help Australians. I think what the result today demonstrates very clearly is the support we're able to provide to our customers today, how we're investing for tomorrow, but also the important role that the Commonwealth Bank plays in providing strength and stability to the economy. Seeing all that with a straight face pretty much earned him his next million dollar bonus. It is true though that CBA with its profits is now better able to help its customers. Not new ones though, they're fucked. Like others, CBA has also started to make it more expensive for new customers to switch. We've seen all four big banks increase new customer variable rates since the 1st of March of this year. They say their profit margins are getting squeezed, but with a $10.2 billion profit, that is hard to believe. So new customers have it harder, old customers are defaulting and the banks are making more money than ever. The answer, it seems, is to finally admit mummy and daddy were right and enroll in a banking course. There are no new ideas, news now. 
As more and more refugees die trying to cross oceans to reach Europe, with 41 people, including three children, drowning this week off the coast of Italy, many European countries are struggling with the growing challenge of ensuring an end to this needless loss of human lives. The Greek approach of towing the ship out to open waters, which results in its capsizing and killing almost everyone on board, then denying they towed it out in the first place, is just one creative solution to the problem. The UK, which at last count has between 800,000 and 1.2 million undocumented people living there, too has tried to come up with sustainable long-term solutions. Experts have recommended many options, including working to create safe routes of travel, putting pressure on rich states like the UAE to increase their laughably minimal refugee intake, encouraging voluntary repatriation and allowing work rights. So, what then has the British government come up with? Facing a wave of boat arrivals across the Channel from France, the UK is providing one of its own. The three-storey Bibby Stockholm barge docked in Dorset could soon be home to as many as 500 male asylum seekers. The Bibby Stockholm, which sounds like a mistress someone in the royal family got photographed banging, is a giant barge that will now house male asylum seekers in the very waters they barely survived crossing. The programme is being lauded by Tory party supporters as a successful combination of cruelty and irony, although lacking in creativity being basically an unmoored Nauru. Why can't the British ever steal a good idea from Australia, like our better beer or Tim Tams and coffee? Why does it have to be the most notorious human rights abuse we've committed in the last 10 years? And of course, where there's unnecessarily cruel refugee abuse, which could also make conservative business owners a lot of money, there's going to be an Australian. Australian firm Corporate Travel Management is in charge of running the facility. The Fire Brigades Union has already raised concerns about access to exits, describing it as a potential death trap. Corporate Travel Management, a company that proves the maxim that the more benign a corporate name, the more depraved its activities, is being paid $3 billion by the British government. And it's owned by Brisbane local Jamie Ferris. The company was previously given a contract to handle the hotel quarantine system in the UK, for which it received criticism for, quote, prison-like conditions. Jamie Ferris himself is a vocal and staunch supporter of Peter Dutton and previously of Tony Abbott, who is now still advisor to the UK Board of Trade, in case you were wondering how he keeps getting so many contracts from conservative governments. Speaking of conservative politicians who rely on human cruelty to maintain their grotesque states of arousal, Tory MP Lee Anderson said that migrants who did not want to board the Bibby Stockholm barge should, quote, fuck off back to France. Lee Anderson's comments have been backed by his party, as evidenced here by Justice Secretary Alex Chalk, who was struggling to hide his own erection at the thought of making asylum seekers' lives more miserable. Yeah, Lee Anderson expresses the righteous indignation of the British people. Yeah, he does it in salty terms, and that's, uh, that's, the, that's his style. But his indignation is well placed. And of course, here's Lee Anderson himself talking to Nigel Farage, who is basically the pinnacle of British intellectual and cultural achievement, at least when it comes to being a lying racist fucknubbin who inbred morons in towns named Worcestershire and Upton Snodsbury think best represent their miserable lives full of stale chips and fish and warm beer that tastes like dishwater. You know, all of us at times in life go a bit too far and we need to admit perhaps we've made a bit of a mistake. Um, are you apologising for the words you've uttered? No. 
One of the reasons there's been a stark increase in illegal entries to the UK is because of the Tory achievements in shutting down all the legal ways to get asylum, with the efficiency of a lockdown party in 10 Downing Street. In six months, the number of asylum applications processed has gone from 90% to 4%, while asylum applications themselves have halved. The barge, which will house less than 1% of current asylum seekers looking for permanent settlement, is being touted as a new solution. So, How's it going a few days after launch? Now, here, the government has confirmed that all 39 asylum seekers housed on the Bibby Stockholm barge moored off the south coast of England have been taken off the vessel. That's because traces of Legionella bacteria were found in its water supply. Legionella can cause a serious lung infection known as Legionnaire's disease. Look, it's not quite up to the levels of cruelty Australia managed with Manus, where asylum seekers were murdered and committed suicide, or Nauru, where they were raped and committed suicide. But a plague ship is a good start when it comes to conservative ideas for applying inhuman solutions to human problems. That's it for this week's edition of News Weekly. If you like my stuff, you can head over to patreon.com slash samishah, that's S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H, to support the podcast. Also, please head over to iTunes, where you can leave me a five-star review and rating. It really helps the podcast with the numbers and the rankings and being seen on the iTunes charts. Otherwise, actually, I wanted to ask you... um, this is episode 81 of News Weekly, not counting the bonus editions and uh, editorial editions, just the straightforward News Weekly episodes, episode 81, which means we're getting close to episode 100, and I have no idea what to do to make episode 100 special. I want to do something, it needs to be something, so ideas from you will be very, very helpful. If you go over to samishah at gmail.com, that's S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H at gmail.com, or just contact me through my Patreon or my website, thesamishah.com. Any ideas you have, I would absolutely love them. I'm thinking maybe a live show version of News Weekly, or maybe a Q&A version of News Weekly, or maybe some guest hosts or guests that I can get on to talk about new satire. I have no idea. Tell me what you'd like to see, and let's see if we can work on something together. That's all coming up on News Weekly. Otherwise, I'll see you right back here next week on News Weekly, where we punch your news in the headlines weekly. Weekly.